Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, Newview Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Well, hey, what's up, everybody? We have a dual podcast today, which is really exciting, right? Um, we're here with Nuvu and Jason DeBono, and he has an amazing podcast. And so uh, we have our podcast, the Rad Podcast, here at Rad with Dutch Mendenhall. And so, you know, we're going to play around a little bit um, and, and, and turn two podcasts into one. I think uh, the content and information that will be shared today is going to be really exciting because this is January 2024. And what I'm pumped up about is, is our tribe and our people have been hitting me constantly taxes, IRAs, planning, what's going on with my retirement? What do I do with my real estate here at the end of the year? And then the beginning of the next year, like, what do I do? Right. And so these are questions that I think Jason is uniquely, you know, positioned to be able to answer. And I know he's got some questions for me too. And so, you know, I'm going to dive right in, but Jason, I'm just um, an admirer of somebody who goes through the journey uh, that you've been through to become president um, of New View uh, IRA and and more than that, you're literally conducting a multi-billion dollar merger, right, within Spira. And, and so there's so many exciting things to ask you about, right? So, but for our people, you know, this is January, you know, what kind of things should they be thinking about? What should, what's going on in their world of, of people's lives right now? I mean, I have my money that I have to get to the right places. I always, you know, do I want to pay more taxes or have more ability to borrow more money? You know, like, what do we do? So, so you know, let, let's start there somewhere. Well, thanks, Dutch, for for having me. And and uh, yeah, this is kind of fun. We we've never uh, done a combined podcast, and so here we are uh, for our listeners on the All About Alts podcast. And uh, excited to 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 kind of be here with Dutch, uh, but also have Dutch technically, I think, on the show. So uh, Dutch ha has an amazing background and and has done so much uh, through a lot of different market cycles. And I think that's so critical in the real estate world is understanding. Uh, you know, how do people navigate, you know, in in good times and bad times and in between times. And nobody has that crystal ball. Uh, I always say if we did, we'd all be too scared to actually look into it. But, um, you know, the the question that everybody wants to know is, you know, what is the best thing to do? And, and going back, Dutch, to your kind of question, how do you plan effectively? And I'll start part of an answer, and, and I'd love to get your feedback as well. You know, there is no one size fits all approach to planning. And I think it's important for people um, to really think about that, the the best advice that I can give anyone is if you do not have a good tax professional, go get one. Um, I, I think people think I've got a great attorney, which is good when things are bad, but but attorneys typically, you know, they're really here to protect the downside. They're not really big on the upside, right? Not a knock on attorneys. It's just not what they're paid to do. Tax professionals are really here for the upside. Um, so, you know, you don't call your tax professional when you're being audited. You have a tax professional to keep from being audited or to feel comfortable through the process that you won't be audited. Or if you are, that you've done all the right things. So uh, whatever uh, you, you've thought, um, if you don't have a good tax professional in the past, I would just encourage you um, find someone. They may cost you a couple thousand bucks a year. Um, but if you think about tax rates and even at a 25% tax rate, they really only have to help you save money on 10 grand of your income 
to cover their $2,500 expense for the year. So um, that's my first start is it is personal. Get a tax professional, uh, a, a CPA, someone that's licensed and, and understands real estate. If, if you are explaining to them what you're doing with your money, probably not the right type of professional. And I see this all the time. So we'll, we'll start there and I'll turn it back to you. You know, not so much yeah. what to do, but make sure you've got that, that tax pro in your corner. I mean, I love I love this conversation, right, Jason? Because I've been through a lot of different cycles with tax professionals over the years. You know, I went through a pretty, you know, significant audit myself. I want to say it was maybe it was 2019, right? And, you know, ended up having a six-figure tax bill, right, from that. And, you know, when you get a six-figure tax bill, you kind of look at your taxes a little bit differently and you say, you know, what what am I to do? And so one of the I dedicated a whole chapter in money shackles to choosing the right tax professionals, red flags, checklists, things you got to check off your list. And, and so some of my, you know, first thing is if you get the tax professional that like, like, well, I'm going to figure out how your taxes. So you pay nothing in taxes. Right. Um, but you haven't already prepared right up to that point in time to control your taxes, handle your taxes the correct way. And then you're probably setting yourself up for a future audit. Right. And, and, and so, you know, my big thing is, is, is preparing to pay less in taxes or utilize the tax code starts year, you can even start years, right, before um, you get to your higher income years. And so, you know, I always believe that every American should own a business. Every American should have an LLC. Every American should 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 have that. Because if they don't have that, then they're not utilizing the tax code correctly, right? Owning real estate, obviously, is utilizing the tax code. Um, having, you know, a tax advantage IRAs, obviously, use utilizing the tax code. These are, you know, requirements. But if you don't start the planning to do that now, then you're obviously choosing the wrong the wrong professional. And so, you know, it, it's a unique balance that for me, when I look at my first time I ever made money. So I went from a college baseball coach um, to a headhunter, to an executive recruiter. And I still to this day don't can't ever imagine why um, that company hired me as, as, as a headhunter when I had been, you know, coaching college baseball. And I remember I had said, you know, maybe I'll get a real job this summer and see what, you know, normal life is like. Um, at 25, I had, you know, been coaching college baseball and I said, what, I said, what am I to do? And, and, and I, you know, went to a temp agency and three interviews and two days later, they hired me as an executive recruiter, a headhunter. Um, and, you know, as, as I look at that, you know, the first full 12 months calendar year, I think I started that summer in June. So, but the next year from January to December, I made, you know, more money than I ever imagined. Um, and, and I paid $90,000 in taxes and, I looked at my life and I said, well, I saved $50,000 this year. I paid off some, you know, student loans and other things and didn't, didn't really, you know, buy anything. And, and I said, I said, so I saved less money than I paid in taxes. As I said, if I, if, if I can pay less than 90,000 per year for the next 20 years, it might be a good thing. And, and, and so that's, you know, it was kind of my first look at it. Cause I was just, you know, the government had more money than I did, which the government will always have more money than, than we have. And so, you know, I just think it's an important, but but I think step one of planning is you have to start planning. You have to make a list of the things that you need to start preparing for, right? So for me and planning, you know, take an inventory, you know, of everything that's going on in your life. What do you spend money on? What do you not spend money on? Um, who's your current uh, tax professional? Like if you don't know the name of your actual current tax professional, they're probably not the right tax professional. Um, and, and in my opinion, you know, and, and you know, the whole, ro ro you know, what do you call it? You know, robo tax or rocket, rocket tax or whatever it is, right, is usually probably not the best, you know, personal solution unless you're very educated yourself to to kind of automate some of that stuff. And then people are thinking, well, Dutch, you know, you and 
Jason, you know, you make good money or you have you have money. So, you know, obviously you have to pay attention to taxes. Let's be clear. Like if you're making fifty thousand dollars a year and and you're paying, you know, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars in taxes, if you could pay seven thousand dollars in taxes instead of twenty thousand dollars in taxes, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, your life will look significantly different. And that's what a lot of people don't understand about money. There's such a compounding effect with it. You know, when did you first, like, when were your eyes opened, Jason, to these kind of things? Like, well, I mean, you worked at NewView for 18 years, but when did you personally look at your own money? Because even as I invested in real estate, it wasn't until I hit 30 and I'm like, I'm a high income earner, but do I really have wealth? Have I really achieved wealth? Is was very different, even though I had, you know, I flipped my first house, I want to say at 27, and, and, and made great money in real estate already between 27 and 30, but it didn't matter because I didn't have wealth. So when did your eyes open? You know, it, it for me, they they opened in two different ways. I mean, one, you know, being at New View was a, a, such a blessing, um, you know, career-wise has, has been fantastic. But personally, you know, I get to live vicariously through our clients um, early on. And, and that's something that for me, I think was probably the greatest outcome of, of, you know, the time and tenure I've had here, um, you know, despite a, a lot of other things that have been very exciting, but it's taught me a lot of things about how to think about money different. And I think you nailed a couple really key points for that. I want to kind of repeat and make sure people uh, listening today walk away with number one, there's no income requirement to start tax planning. And I think so many people think that, well, that's for the wealthy. And sure, you know, does someone with a billion dollars of income have a lot more tax planning opportunities than someone with a hundred grand? Well, of course, right? But if you take all the zeros away and, and you boil it down, it's still the same relative to your earnings. So if you can make an extra 5% because you clipped off some tax bills by good, good smart tax planning, you're 5% wealthier today than you were yesterday. If that 5% is five grand or that 5% is 5 million, it really doesn't matter. 5% is 5%. So make sure that you're thinking about planning early. Um, the second thing is that, you know, from a tax planning professional standpoint, yeah, I mean, evaluate them. Um, I talk to people all the time and, and I go all the way back 18 years ago when I started in this business. And I, I can't tell you, we used to always joke, my job is to educate CPAs on how a self-directed IRA works. And looking back, my advice and counsel should have been find a new CPA. If your CPA doesn't understand the basics of an IRA, right, and, and the value, um, then that's a big miss, right? And if that's something that you believe is a wealth building tool for you and you want that in your arsenal, your accountant's got to be on board. And they can't be pulled into being on board, right? They may not be an expert, but they've got to have some understanding. Uh, I think that's absolutely mission critical. And then the last thing that, that I think I'll just highlight on planning, um, and this was for me, was my eye-opener here at NewView, is that we tend to think about tax planning in arrears, right? Think about how how most relationships work with accountants. And, and Dutch, I'll, I'll be curious, maybe when your you know thought process changed, but tax professionals are here to save us pennies because that's what we ask them to do, right? So think about it. Dutch is my CPA. I don't talk to him all year. I show up April 14th, right? And I give him a whatever he's requested and I, I hand it to him and I look Dutch in the eyes and I say, Dutch, save me as much money on my taxes as you can, right? And Dutch comes back and he saves me money on my taxes and we high five and I tell everyone Dutch is a good accountant. 
when in reality, Dutch may be a horrible accountant in the grand scheme of how it should work, but he's great at what I asked him to do because I was very deliberate. Dutch, save me money on my taxes. Instead- Money on your taxes without a proper plan, you can be sure that later that's probably gonna, there's a good chance that'll cost you, right? And, and that's exactly right. It, it doesn't cost you money, it costs you everything because instead what I should be doing is saying, hey Dutch, it's January, Knowing what we learned from my my you know money from last year, what can I do differently this year? Or hey Dutch, um, I'm about to buy this investment. Is there any tax planning considerations I should give to it? Or hey Dutch, this opportunity presented itself, and I can buy this fifty thousand dollar investment in my IRA. I can buy it in a Roth, or I can buy it with my cash. If you had to look at this from a tax planning standpoint, would you think differently? That's the relationship that you need to get to with your tax professional. And you don't get there by being wealthy. You get there by being intentional, regardless of how much money you make. So those are just kind of my things. And my eyes were open to that very early on when people kept saying, you need a Roth IRA. You need a Roth IRA. Well, Roth IRAs went completely contrary to asking your accountant to save you money. Because what do accountants do if you tell them to save money? They put you in a pre-tax IRA that has a tax benefit. When in reality, the best plan for me was always a Roth. But if I never had that guidance and visibility into that world of planning from taxes, not in arrears to save a nickel, but as a planning process to save dollars going forward, I probably would have put all my money into pre-tax accounts when it, when the best thing for me was to put it into a Roth. So you know, be mindful of that. But my eyes were open, thankfully, very early on in this process. Um, and now I look at a lot of what I do is more dialogue with my accountant rather than this is what I did. How do we make it make sense? I, I agree 100%. And, and if your accountant's not asking you questions, right, if he does your taxes for the first time, and let's say you don't have an entity or you don't have an LLC, or you've never owned a piece of real estate, or you've owned real estate and you've never taken depreciation in your entire life, or you've never used, um, you know, being your own bank with, with, you know, whole life insurance, or you've never used an IRA, and you've never done any of some of the different, you know, fundamentals when it comes to proper, you know, mental from tax. And there's other things that are, they're more, more advanced, but like, if, if he doesn't start asking those questions and start saying, okay, well, here's things you need to start preparing for next year, right? It may, may have been too late for some people already this year to do some of those, those actions, right? You can't open a, a, a new, your first LLC, you know, and, and granted people are like, well, opening an LLC, oh my gosh, well, you know, you can go to LegalZoom, you can go to Rocket Lawyer, you can, for a couple hundred bucks, you can open, you know, your first LLC. And there's also, you know, pros who will charge you thirty or $40,000 to open an LLC. So you got to make sure, you know, you you, you utilize, like, there there is inexpensive resources to, to do some of that stuff. And there's, for more advanced people, there's more expensive things. But reality is, I don't know how much of a difference the more expensive things really, really make at the, the, the end of the day. So, you know, they, they got to start helping you with that plan, you know, you know, sooner. Um, for me, I, I look at my, you know, seven and eight year old both have their own IRAs. Um, they both have their own and I, I probably it's a specific type of IRA for kids. You might know that the name of that better, better than I would, Jason. Um, but they both own their own piece of real estate, first piece of real estate um, in, in, in their IRA. And we started those when they were like three and four because, you know, I put them on social media from time to time. And so they're, you know, paid actors with with my my company. And, and that's a way for you to utilize the, the tax code, you know, effectively. And, and so for me now, now my kids are starting to build up, you know, their own, their own investments and their own things. And I educate them. When did you start with your own, your own kids? Right. I think you have, you have two, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar, very early on. 
you know, the luxury of being on this side of the business is that I do get to see and hear a lot of these strategies. And, um, you know, we use the Coverdell educational accounts uh, mm -hmm. as, as a, a retirement tool or as a savings tool, along with some, some Roths. And the value of that is two part, you know, a, it, it creates a savings vehicle early on, but it also gives you some stuff to talk to them about. And I think that's the part that's really cool. And that's something that, that our goal this year is to become more intentional. Um, our daughter's four. And so she's, uh, you know, still lives in a land of daisies and fairies and, and, you know, the idea of real estate and money is still outside of, of any form of discussion, but our 12 year old, you know, his favorite class in, in school was a project that they did where they actually had a, you know, a mock account and bought stocks and bonds. And, you know, it's interesting because even though I'm not really a stock and bond guy, I never have been. Um, the handful of stocks I've bought have never materialized yet. Every piece of real estate for the most part has, has done well, more control. So, but it's been really fun to have some of that dialogue, right? For him to kind of see, hey, like this investment stuff is cool. He knows what I do and he knows how I do it. Uh, at a high level, but he's starting to take interest in the savings component. He's starting to take interest in the, hey, this $20, you know, Roblox purchase is $20 that can't earn me money somewhere else. And so uh, that's a big goal for us in, in 2024 for my wife and I is really, you know, are we being as intentional as we can be uh, with our oldest and really giving him more chances uh, to be part of that. And, and that as a parent, especially someone on on the side of of you know the financial world, it's so fun uh, to kind of open his eyes. And uh, I didn't get that as a kid. Uh, you know, I grew up. I was very lucky. Um, while my childhood had plenty of, of turbulence, and and uh, like most kids, my dad owned his own business. He worked eighty hours a week. He taught me work ethic, and and he taught me you know how to not so much how to manage money, but just how to to, to treat money. Um, and how to go work and find ways and how to be self-employed. And, you know, my son doesn't have that today, you know, and I had that. And so you got to find different ways to get some of those same lessons and experiences that we got as kids, maybe in a hands-on approach and trying to create some ways for him to be a little more hands-on. So uh, building wealth starts very young, um, not just by, by, by having money, but being a good steward of it and understanding where to put it and what to do with it. Yeah, I love the money languages. Like once you kind of understand money languages, like my kids um, have their own, you know, money languages. You know, my my one t son Tony is definitely a, a spender, um, and my other one is definitely a, what I call a flyer, which is we don't, um, you know, we never want to have an argument about money. Money's not as important to us as what money can do, you know. And and so I, I love you know learning even about my own kids' personality because they might not have the exact same DNA. Because my wife and I had different some differences, you know, with money earlier on in our relationship, because, you know, my wife has that bit of, um, she wants security, she wants to be safe, you know, that that's kind of that saver. She has a risk taker partner personality, otherwise we wouldn't have made it as, as a couple, um, being an entrepreneur, you know, but at the same time, you know, I remember we met a uh, very, very wealthy commercial real estate investor uh, in, in California. And, you know, I, he is a part of our, our church. And, and so, like, I remember, learning like identifying and maybe it's just part of my personality i started identifying who you know i went to church with like who's very successful who has a happy marriage right who has you know like i just started looking and, and like these are the people i want to learn from and so you know when i started to learn about you know his real estate and those kind of things you know i really wanted to learn about how him and his wife can actually talk about money how can they have you know a productive conversation about money because for me for my wife it was let's take money and put it aside that makes us safe 
and makes us feel secure. And for me, all money was ammunition, right? Um, it was my ability to go load up and, and buy the next asset to make the next investment, to build the next business, to grow the next business. And so that there, even though we're very much on page with being an entrepreneurial lifestyle, because that was the, the choice you know we made or a choice we agreed on as a couple, there was a difference when it came to that that money part of it. And, you know, at, at 30 years old, you know, I think I made great money as an entrepreneur, but I had, had how much had I saved, how much had I put away? I had some real estate, you know, assets at that point, not not obviously where we are today. And and so it was just an interesting dynamic. How have you and your wife kind of handled some of those conversations, you know, about money, money over the years? And probably it's a little easier now, um, but maybe not. But then it was, you know, when you're an intern. You know, it, it it's such a good, good question. And I appreciate that topic. I think a lot of couples avoid it. And and probably early on, we did, you know, it was, um, it is a language and and people spend money differently. Um, and people treat money differently. Um, you know, my, my wife is self-employed. She's a photographer um, professionally. And, but her natural DNA is not to take big risks. Um, you know, she started her own business, which was a risk. And so she's 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 out in front of some of that, but not to the same degree and and how she views investments into the business and, you know, spending money on marketing and it it th those types of things, uh, they don't come natural to anyone, but some people are willing to go invest more to take more risk. And so uh, we've had to have some discussions around that. And, um, you know, what does that look like? Right. Like what what does that uh, financial future look like? You know, do we create comfort and and do we put money away and and feel like we've got comfort and stability uh, or you know we're young do we go out and reinvest it um, you know where's that balance and so um, what I love about my wife is she's open to learn um, she'll be the first to tell you she doesn't understand the world I live in um, she's definitely uses a different part of the brain being more creative and and certainly photography and the artistic side is much bigger um, in terms of easy for her to comprehend but. Um, you know, whereas I struggle on that side, but on the, you know, financial side, it's all I've known and all I've done. And so it just comes a little bit easier. And so uh, I think that the advice I can give to everyone is, is don't be scared to have the discussion, right? Like, what does money mean to you? What, what do, does it do for you? And and some people don't care about it. And some people, it's all they care about. Uh, some people have money and, and uh, it's sitting in the bank and they'll never spend it because they just want comfort and uh, their lifestyle doesn't change one bit, you know, and other people, they live a lifestyle that's so far ahead of their means because that lifestyle is what money is to them. And so have those discussions. Um, it is important to have a plan. I mean, my wife and I sit down, uh, we have a plan for the year. You know, we we have regular check-ins on budget and people kind of laugh like, well, what is that? You know, you have a budget meeting and it's like, yeah, we we set goals and we want to do things. And budget isn't what did we spend? Budget is what's the overall financial picture? If we want to spend a thousand dollars more this month, the question isn't how do we make that happen? It's how do we go make a thousand bucks so that that's an easy decision? Right. So I think it is really critical to have some money goals, have some net worth goals, have some saving goals. Um, and then most importantly, like any good goal is how do you get there? And I think that's where people fall short in the wealth building uh, model is it's easy. And I'm sure Dutch, you've come across people in your life and, and I have too, whether they're friends, family members, people you've met, acquaintances, business, where they're aspirational. You know, I want to make a million dollars this year, like high five, man, I hope you make $2 million, but how are you going to make a hundred grand, let alone a million? Right. And maybe this isn't your your year to make a million bucks. Maybe this is your year to tee everything up to make the million bucks for next year. But are you having those discussions? Is your spouse on the same page? 
Are you running in a different direction? Like those are all things that that you have to be prepared for. And I think last piece is an entrepreneur and, and this is a real challenge. And, and I think I'd turn this question back to you, you know, as an entrepreneur and building a business, it's very easy to say, well, Dutch, you've built this successful business and life is good and you've got wealth and you can do all these things. What nobody tends to look at is what was that journey? Because that didn't happen overnight. What were the 80 hour, you know, what was it like when you tucked your kids into bed and were on your computer or maybe had to FaceTime your kids because the business needed you to be on the road? You know, how do you manage those things for your kids and with your wife? Um, because I think a lot of people want to get wealthy and a lot of people want to make money and a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs or real estate professionals or whatever that is. But the journey to get there requires some concessions and it requires some hard work and effort. How did you and your wife navigate that side of the equation and with your family as well? Well, there's a lot, a lot, a lot loaded into that and loaded in that question. You know, how, how do we navigate the personal, you know, journey with my, my wife and I, right? I think one is be, being on the same page, right? Like, like I am not my household CFO, right? My wife is our household CFO. And that's fascinating because I'm the, you know, larger, you know, primary breadwinner, right? And, and, and our, and our family and my wife makes incredible, you know, income now as, as one of the, you know, executives within our company. But as an entrepreneur, there was a point of surrender to each other, right? And I think any successful marriage has a certain amount of surrender to one another. And I think it's about finding those right agreements. And when you have those right agreements, it makes it makes a huge, huge difference, right? I've made over a million dollars on one real estate deal. But if I if I was sitting here watching, you know, Facebook or I'm watching the internet and somebody says, you know, you can sit on your couch and watch TV and make a million dollars, you know, in real estate this year, and 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 it'll happen in 35 seconds. You know that that's very dangerous, right? Um, you know, I made million dollars in, in one real estate this year, but there was also, you know, uh, a lifetime of you know negotiating deals, a lifetime of building up investors, a lifetime of building up buyers, a lifetime of building different things. You know, and and you know, we bought a bought a golf course this year. And, and, you know, we, we cleared about almost $2 million, right, in total capital, you know, on that deal. And, and it, was, it was, you know, freaking awesome, right? But that didn't happen overnight. That was, it was you know, a, an amazing amount of work and time and effort that goes into it. And I think, you know, this is an interesting time because we just came off of super high interest rates in, in real estate. And that's when a lot of people, you know, don't buy real estate. And, and, they, and then they get afraid because they're afraid of high interest rates and they're afraid of the markets and they're afraid of different things. But, you know, the reality is having been through all the different cycles I have been, you know, the last six months of 2023 is the best buying I've done probably since maybe going back all the way like to 2015, 2016. And, and, you know, I did some incredible buying, you know, in those years when I, when I caught some, you know, market downtrends, 2009, 2010, I did some really uh, amazing, you know, apartments and self-storage. So like there's these cycles, but nobody buys during that time. Right. And everybody turtles, you know, and, and hides in the shell during that period of time, because they don't understand that like there is cycles and there, and, and there's markets. And the, one of the beautiful things I love about IRAs though, is, is, is people tend to get away from the get quick rich stuff when it comes to their IRAs. Like people lots of times are thinking long-term, thinking long-term investing. So at all, at all times with investing, you have to be thinking long-term. And anybody who's thinking short-term is a way for you to really get hammered um, at any point in time in, in, in real estate. Have I ever made a quick buck in real estate? Absolutely. But is that is that my goal when I look at deals, when I look at investments? It's, it's just not. And those, those opportunities will present themselves 
but it's it, it's not what I look for. I'm always worried for my investors. Like my big thing is is out of our our all of our investors, and my biggest worry for them is always like how can we keep them from getting screwed? And I know that that, that kind of sounds interesting, but it, like there's so much bad stuff out there. And like last year was like 2022 was an interesting year because there was suddenly all of these good investments. There were suddenly all of these good things that people could do. And I'm always, I, what I've learned over the years, when when I, suddenly there's all of these great investments for people and all of these great things that, that are there, I'm like, oh, the market's about to turn, right? Because it's been on the rise so long that, that, that I know it, it's about to turn, it's about to shift and change. So, you know, I always want my people to, to get some, you know, insight into like, what are things, what are, what are, what are catch-alls for people to watch out for um, as they're looking? I always think if you have a healthy relationship with money, you're less likely to get screwed. Because you're less likely to do something out of character or less likely to be forced or pushed or or influenced by someone with a decision. But what are some of the things that 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 you know you see um over all the years with with, with IRAs and and your you know, I mean, I don't know, is 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 New View over a hundred thousand? I mean, is it a hundred thousand people? Is it how many people have it have you know used 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 New View in the in the decades you've been there? Oh boy, as a number, um, I can tell you that that over three billion dollars of transactional volume, uh, we currently custody over two billion, uh, almost two point three billion uh, of of individual assets or client assets, and I would say you know those are well diversified, but but real estate still probably the largest holder um, in that, and and I you know I'll point to two quotes that that I think are super critical um, for for people to remember. One is. A calm sea never made a skilled sailor. And, you know, when you think about what that means and, and going back to your point, Dutch, you know, 2021, 2022, I was with you. That was the last place I wanted to be investing. Um, I saw more people tout their success. But if I look at their success as 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 investors, and, and there's lots of people, I guess for listeners on, on both podcasts, you know, our clients are always investing and they're investing with either in their own deals or with other people that are raising capital. And there's a lot of ways to invest and deploy capital. And, and certainly RAD would be a group that raises capital and they have investment opportunities and they basically help you enter the real estate market. In that world, you know, what I started to see was a lot of people that were, you know, talking about their last three deals, four deals. Well, if you look at the time frame, you know, the S&P was returning 20% a year. So, you know, it's like an advisor that says, I returned 25% last year. Well, if the S&P returned 26, I'm not that impressed because that means anybody in any market, the law of averages would have gotten you to 20. What I'm impressed with is when you return 18, when the market returns seven, right? Or when the market returns negative and you don't make money, but you didn't lose money. And, and there's no right way to look at it. But so that 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 calm seas never made a skilled sailor is what have they really been through? You know, and you can't fault someone for being new in the business, right? I can't suggest that that if someone started in this business in 2017, that they're bad. But what I do want to know is I want to ask a lot more questions about their experience, because if their experience is they bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold and every deal made money, I'm a little concerned, right? Like, hey, what happens if? And we've seen a lot of deals go sideways. And, and I'm sure you've seen this, Dutch, on your end as well. You know, a lot of buying opportunities were created because people overbought, overextended, and didn't anticipate. And, you know, there was a deal um, that that went belly up like eight months after it, it when it was purchased. I'm thinking, 
eight months, like what they, they must have had zero level of downside protection. Right. And it's like, how can a deal go that bad that quick? And I know interest rates went up and I know it causes problems, but the second quote is, is a Warren Buffett quote and it's return of principle is always better than return on principle. And I think this is those two bits of advice for me, you know, are things that I try to preach to everybody. Um, you know, you mentioned that watching TV, right? You got this new get rich quick. If you sit on social media or you go on any of these reels or, you know, it's all about, I sit at home and I made $4,000 today. And I, you know, I was on vacation in Bali and I made 10 grand. And it's like, this sort of stuff is poisonous, you know, to, to, to people. My 12 year old and you, you Bali, may be, Bali is a pretty cool place though. I'm just saying it, 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 the Bali side's not, uh, not poison, but this idea, my son actually, you know, yeah. and he's 12. Uh, and he asked me about, you know, drop shipping, you know, oh yeah, no, I see that you can just set up a drop shipping account and you can make like 10 grand a month. And it's like, all right, well, give me a little bit more. That sounds really cool. I'm, I'm excited that you're excited about it. What's, well, you just like set it up and you make like 10 grand, you know? And I'm like, okay, cool. What, what's next? You just set it up and you make like 10 grand. And, and what you realize is that he's being fed 30 second clips about this and when what's not being filtered through that is that that you've got to get from start to finish and so this idea of return of principle is always better than return on principle you know th this generation grew up in bitcoin they grew up with with bitcoin millionaires that really didn't do anything and so i see this this coming this freight train of of i would say you know probably 30 somethings and below um that they all want to get there faster but if you take your core, your investment, and I'll, I'll just share you a quick numeric kind of story that I've always, always shared and something I tell my kids is if you spend more money than you have, it costs you money. If you save more money than you have, it makes you money, right? So what side of that coin do you want to be on, right? So if you spend more, right, you got to take on debt, not that debt's a bad thing, but bad debt is a bad thing, right? It costs you money, but if you save more, um, so if you take two different people, Right. So let's just say Dutch is investor A and he's a good saver and Jason is a bad saver. Right. And we both go out and we invest into the same investment for we make 10 percent and it's the same deal. All of that were equal. But what's different is you've got 100 grand to invest and I've got five grand. And so you will naturally make more money than me because of the choices you made to get to the 100 grand of savings than you did on the choices on the investment side to make 10%. So it's something that I, I come back to this kind of philosophy for people when it comes to, to investment and saving is, yeah, you've got to be a good investor, but you've got to give yourself resources to save. So if I look at IRAs, why I'm such a big proponent of them and why I think they're so incredible is it's the number one legal tax-based program to save money. Nowhere else can any individual take money with simple IRS code, meaning no need or help from tax professionals, and save money in a tax-free environment than an IRA. It's the greatest tax tool, and it's available to every single American with no work and effort. That's a great point, Jason, right? Now, you and I have some you know, philosophies, right? Definitely when it comes to money and those kind of things. Obviously, I think d debt is a great weapon. Right. When it comes to building wealth. And I think, you know, most billionaires in the world have used debt and as, as an effective tool. But you have to know how to do that. Right. There, there's a good use and there's bad debt and there's good debt. Um, if you're using debt for lifestyle, then then you are going to eventually be in pain. 
There's never a time like people use debt for lifestyle that that pain isn't going to follow that, right? And so, but utilizing debt, you know, to to own real estate or utilizing debt um, to start a business, build a business, right? Can can be good things when that debt's utilized the the right way. And and it's just fascinating as people are on these journeys now because of. You said the thing, you know, Rad does, you know, take investments or we do have investors. I'll do just a quick disclosures, right? You know, we have, um, you know, Reg A's filed. We have Reg D's filed. You have to read those offering circulars if you end up on one of our websites, right? We're not solicitating, you know, investments today as we share on this podcast, but I just need to make sure I do, you know, some of those disclosures that all investments you make in this world can be a loss. And anytime anybody says that there is absolutely no way you can lose on investment is one of the red flags you should walk away and run away from from that investment, right? Over the years, I've had property stolen. I've had defrauded deeds and had property stolen. Over the years, I've had, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, squatters, right? Um, I once had a squatter who then defrauded a deed and said they owned the property. And, you know, it was a long journey to get those people out. And for us, that's time and, and, and legal. But for an individual investor, that can be a nightmare and be really, really painful, you know, for them. And, and so, you know, knowing some of those, you know, pitfalls, I think is critical, you know, when you, when you make investments, but if it seems easy, um, stay away from it. So I give you a couple examples, like a couple of years ago, it was all ICOs, right? Um, initial coin offerings in crypto was, was the hot sit on a couch, become a millionaire, right? And there's some people who made money from that. And there's a lot of people who got scammed and didn't make money from that, right? Right now it's AI. Like everything's AI and everybody talks about AI. The other day, somebody sent me an email and it was, says rad AI. And they're like, is this you? And I'm like, no, this, this is not I. And to be clear, like trading bots in the stock market have been around for 20 years. It's not like brand new because they're suddenly AI, right? And if people are talking about, you know, the, the things that are there, right? So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. When the markets are great, they always work. Um, when the markets aren't great, they don't always work. You know, these are these are some of the things. But anytime it's easy, simple, anytime it's 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 you can make millions, you know, overnight, then 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 all your red flags gotta go up and 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 you gotta be worried. One of the things I think for you as a person is in look at your worst case scenario, like Jason was saying. Like in your worst case scenario, can you get your money back? In your worst scenario, can you redeem your your original, you know, investment capital? I think that's 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 critical. The best case scenario is less important than the worst case scenario. And that's not the conversation a lot of people have. It's one of the reasons, like, I love real estate. At the end of the day, I'm going to own something, right? There's going to be a tangible product. There's going to be a tangible thing, right? And, you know, we've seen 100-year companies send the stock market into turmoil and blow the stock market up and, and be challenging. And so just because, you know, if somebody doesn't have any track record, that's a red flag. You should probably stay away. Um, but if people, you know, have a track record, it doesn't mean that they're flawless, right? It doesn't mean that they're impervious, right? Um, as interest rates went up, you know, I was very glad to have the debt that we had from 2021, 2022, where we had lower interest rates. And and so a lot of people are like, well, are you selling? Are you getting out of different things? I said, no, we're holding tight and we're holding strong, right? Until interest rates come down. And, and that's critical, right? We started using other techniques like seller financing and different things with some of our assets and properties in order to increase cash flow. But if people don't have a plan for it, like if you go back and watch YouTube videos of us in 21 and 22, like we were planning for higher interest rates as as late as late 2020. As soon as I knew inflation was gonna gonna go up, you have to go back and look at your history. Like 76 to 1980 was the last time inflation went up massively. Last time they raised they they raised interest rates at the level that they raised them this last year. And inflation's not going away. I heard an interesting Joe Rogan uh, podcast this morning, and they were talking about the world in 1923 
1984 because he had the guy from Yellowstone, uh, the, the TV show on, on his podcast, right? And so he did the 1923. He goes, the world was closer to each other in 23 than in 84 than it is between 84 and 2024. Like we're further apart in the speed of economy, the speed of markets, the speed of money. And, 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 and so it's fascinating. I think we're in an accelerated time. And I want to ask you a question when it comes to money, like inflation, when it comes to where money could be in 10 years versus like being a millionaire today isn't what it was even 10 years ago. It really doesn't mean what it meant 10 years ago. But there's an interesting part with compounding interest. Every time you add a zero, compounding kind of takes off in a whole different way. So being a millionaire is still more important than having 100,000 in savings because the whole the whole roll effect is is huge. You know, but it, it's fascinating. People say you can't retire in two million. I say, well, they don't make good investments, right? So I, I don't know. What's your opinion? Like with the, what I believe, like we're in accelerated times of finances and money. I think we're gonna we're already in a digital world uh, when it comes to currency more than people realize. But what do you? What's your opinion? Oh man, there, there's a lot to unpack in in no, that like question. That. And um, I'll I guess I'll start with maybe the the the. First of all, I agree, agree completely. We are in a digital world. We're in a digital monetary um, system. I think whether it's called Bitcoin or whether it's called the dollar, you know, money's moving hands electronically. And uh, I think I don't know if that bodes well for Bitcoin or or bodes, you know, against it. I I, I just I'm not an expert in that market, and so I I try to stay away from you know what I just can't seem to wrap my arms around from an understanding standpoint. But the world is changing, and as fast as uh, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, the idea of ordering a pizza, you know, Domino's, uh, you had to call them and, and you had to wait for your pizza and you didn't know where it was, but but you knew that if they didn't deliver it in 30 minutes or less, it was free, right? That was a marketing campaign. Today, I can see that, you know, Billy is putting pepperoni on my pizza, right? I can see that it's it's 12% through the conveyor belt of the oven. The, the world is moving quickly. Um, you know, even in, in our office building here, um, you know, Uber Eats is here three, four times a, a week. And, you know, I, I tell our office all the time and, and the office, the, the ones that listen to the show, first of all, are probably not the ones ordering Uber Eats because they're actually paying attention. But I tell them all the time, like that is just lighting money on fire. You know, that's a convenience and, and you're buying convenience is fine when A, you can afford it, but you're basically financing a lifestyle. Um, get in your car and go pick up McDonald's or Starbucks. You really need to pay $8 for someone to drive it to you. There's a yeah. difference between convenience and laziness. If they're eating McDonald's, their afternoon's not going to be all that productive. Well, yeah, the, the food itself is also questionable. Um, but but when you think about it, but for, for a lot of the 20-somethings, not that there's anything wrong with being a 20-something, you don't control how old you are. It's normal to them. That that is normal. That's a normal part of their day-to-day -day life. And so, you know, what I'm kind of getting to is that as generations move, as economics move, as life moves, we all are moving at a pace that's a hundred times faster than it used to be. Think about your phone. And depending on the age of, of who's listening, I mean, I can turn a video on my phone in two seconds. So yeah. much so that if it doesn't load, I was at the airport yesterday and I was having some issues with my service and I was in between the Wi-Fi, you know, when you get on the airplane and you're you're not able to use the airplane's Wi-Fi, but you're still in that weird part where you don't have cell phone service and you're too far away from the, the airport itself's Wi-Fi. And it's like, dude, this is ridiculous. I can't turn this on. 10 years ago, right? I mean, really 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you couldn't even watch a video on your phone. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you got to the airport. I remember early on when I was traveling, I mean, I would stop at the little magazine store and I'd grab the newspaper, the journal. Today, I just read it. So if you think about how our lives have moved, money's moved right alongside it. We just haven't accepted that reality. So, you know, I'm with you in this idea that you can retire on any amount of money that you want. A, your lifestyle has to be supportive, right? You can't live a, a $200,000 lifestyle on $100,000, but you, you have to look at how you accelerate money and you've got to accelerate it quicker. I'll leave you with uh, answer the last kind of comment to that question. When it comes to money, what people tend to not think about is compound money. And I love that you brought this up. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. And compounding in a tax-free environment is the greatest compounding that you can get. And I'll just illustrate it. If you took a, a dollar and you doubled it every day for 30, for 30 days, right? $1, 30 days. And you took the same dollar and you doubled it for 30 days. I did mine in my Roth IRA and you did yours in your personal account. Now let's assume you're in the 25% tax bracket. So you take a dollar, right? The next day it's $2 and you got to pay tax on a dollar, 25 cents. Now you have a dollar 75 and you make a dollar 75 and you got to pay tax. At the end of that 30 days or 30 years, however you want to look at it, but 30 doubling periods, you'll have about 80,000 bucks. Now, most people, right, would be like, you would be sitting around with your buddies and be like, guys, I turned a dollar into 80 grand and everyone would be high-fiving you. Like, dude, this is awesome. Dutch, way to go. You're brilliant. You're a genius. I take the exact same dollar and double it over the exact same period. So I'm taking no more risk. Everything's the same. But I did tax planning and I used compound interest to my benefit. It did it in a Roth IRA. Instead of having about 80 grand, I've got over a million dollars. So I'm not sitting at at, at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings telling my buddies how I turned a dollar into 80 grand. I'm sitting at the country club telling my buddies how I turned a dollar into a million dollars. That is the power of compound growth. And that's the power of tax planning. Illustrated in one example, same scenario, same investment, same risk profile, same savings profile. We both only had to save a buck. But because I use tax planning to my benefit, my investment grew to over a million bucks and your investment grew to 80 grand. Now, now add some zeros to that or add some dollars and start looking at what this longer term planning looks like. And, and so I, I bring that back to your question, which is money is fast, money is quick, but money is still long-term. And if you don't make long-term financial decisions today, you will pay the price over time. Yeah, I, I love that example, you know, you give, you know, because we do the same thing, you know, we, as my father-in-law is a great story because my father-in-law, you know, hated the fact that I didn't own my own home many, many years ago. Right. And I had uh, 10 rental properties before I bought my own home. Right. And, and, and it was very frustrating to him because he, you know, he's very traditional Hispanic, very, you know, old school, and he is an investor himself. Right. He's done decent with his retirement and, 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 you know, he worked a long you know, you know, career in order to set up his retirement and stuff. And so, you know, I have nothing but respect with the way he approaches finances. And, but, you know, I said to, to his name's Ernie, I said to Ernie, you know, I, I can't wait 20 or 30 or 40 years for me to be where I want to be financially as a person, right? I'm on a five to 10 year plan for me to be exactly where I want to be. When my kids hit, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, I want to be in presence, be quality time with them. I don't want to be working 80 hours a week because I know you know that pain of a dad that works 80 hours a week. And, and I went through that, you know, as a part of my childhood of, of not 
parents not being as present as they could. And yeah, I respected them for many things, but but presence is important as a parent. So, you know, and and so I look at as I teach my investors, if you buy retail and you buy traditionally and you buy in the market, you know, just just because you're going to just buy a piece of real estate, you know, money doesn't compound very fast. And if you buy one piece of real estate and you wait 10 years, it's not going to compound. But if you utilize, you buy it, you know, at a, at a small discount, let's say 10% or 15%, you know, and, and you utilize a little bit of rehabbing and, and you look at holding and you buy a new piece of real estate, let's say every two years. Well, 10 years later is the difference between owning one property and five properties. This is the difference between having millions of dollars in, in tax depreciation or and having millions of dollars appreciating actively for you or having a few hundred thousand dollars, you know, actively working for you. And, and so it's just such a different financial difference. And, and, and if so, if you look at your IRA and you're in a tax free situation, now all that money becomes yours. And in a, a non-tax-free situation, it doesn't become yours. And so, you know, utilizing the different pieces of compound is two individuals who both, let's say, make $100,000 a year, 10 years or 20 years later, by taking different actions, one has, and I'm talking about the one who doesn't know exactly what they're doing is conservative and they save their money and they put away and, and they, they're, they're, they're tight about it, but they don't know about IRAs. They don't know about 401ks. They don't know about, you know, whole life insurance. They don't know about depreciation. They don't know what a 1031 is. They don't know, um, which is kind of exciting. I know you guys just added that as one of your guys' resources for you guys, but they don't know these things. And the other person, on the other hand, is educated on a healthy relationship with money and they have the tools and the fundamental tools. The difference is, 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 is a multimillionaire as opposed to a person who's made decent income, you know, and, and granted a hundred thousand today isn't what it was 10 years ago either. Um, I mean, like, I remember when I was like in college, it's like, man, if I make a hundred thousand dollars a year, life's going to be really, really good. And I remember meeting, you know, a successful entrepreneur and he's like, Dutch, I can't live off of less than $20,000 a month. And I said, you're insane. It's like, you need to change your lifestyle. You need to adjust your lifestyle. I understand now that like, as the world's accelerated and the world's changed and I have kids and different things like, you know, that, that hundred, a hundred thousand years is, is, you know, almost in some parts of the country is, is, is almost poverty level in, in different ways, which is mind blowing how much the world has changed. Actually, I think in California, I could be wrong, but I, I want to say like poverty is $70,000 a year, um, is, is, is a poverty, poverty level there. I could be wrong with, with the amount, the exact, exact number, but that, that's kind of mind blowing to think that that's, that, that you can make that money and that, that would cause you to have to live in a situation where you can only live if you have a roommate, somebody else's yep. income in the situ in, in the situation is kind of kind of mind blowing. But yeah, I love compounded. It, it's literally to me, if you've never even just took a spreadsheet and just compounded money simply to, to understand it, you'll never fully understand understand money at all. Yeah. Well, and that's what what I think most people don't do. You know, I think it goes back to that having a healthy relationship with money. And um, look, anyone that says money doesn't buy happiness, right? I think someone jokes like hasn't slept, uh, you know, in, in thousand thread count sheets before, right? Like it, it it can buy you happiness, but money doesn't create happiness. You gotta be a happy person on your own, but you yeah. have to have a healthy understanding of how money works. And, um, you know, there's been times in my life where I have not had a healthy understanding of money. And, you know, thankfully over time, I've been able to correct some of those behaviors and um, it, it is about getting to where you want to be. And we talked a little bit about that goal setting and setting plans. And you're never too young, too old. You're never too poor, too rich to set goals and to set plans. 
Um, and sometimes, you know, understanding what your goal is helps you find resources to get there sooner and faster than you would have on your own. And so if my goal is to make a million dollars, well, how do I get there? And what it causes me to do is it causes me to start asking questions like, how do I get there? Who are the people that can help me? You know, I, I'd imagine Dutch, you know, you mentioned it, a big part of your journey in your life and success is reaching out to someone at your church that had been there and done that and said, hey, help me understand um, it, it reminds me of the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. You know, it's like you, you can't just visualize what you want and get there. You got to visualize what you want and then step back and say, what are the actions necessary? Because behind every single fancy car, fancy house, um, you know, rich or poor, there's been work. There's been trials and tribulations. And uh, sometimes things are good and you feel like you're a genius and then times are bad and you feel like you're the worst investor in the world. And then and that's just part of it. Right. We all have a little bit of scars with with finances and we should, um, you know, everybody should have some of those. But understanding how money works and, and, and understanding where to go get some of the answers to the questions, uh, I think, is critical for people. And if you're listening today and you're kind of asking yourself, like, how do I get there? Whatever there is in your mind, and there doesn't have to be where Dutch is or where I am, it's there where you want to be, um, make sure that you're asking the right questions to the right people uh, and be an active listener. Like, what can I do differently? I don't know, Chris, I mean, Jason, you might have gave me a um, a good new life philosophy, right? I said, I was thinking like, never think you're a genius, but but never stop thinking you're a genius, but then never think you're a genius. So so I think that's that's a, that's a, that's a good one from from what you're sharing there. I, I look at, you know, my kids and, and one of the things is their healthy relationship with money. Cause a lot of the time when I was younger, cause I, I lived on my own at 16. And when I was younger, I used to think, well, someday I want to have my, I want to be able to pass wealth down to my children. Right. But I realized, and, and I, with all the investors I've talked to over the years, this is just something I've learned in my core. It doesn't matter how much money you pass down. If your kids or your grandchildren don't have a healthy relationship with money, it's just a waste. It's just a complete yep. waste of time. So I learned over the years, like for my kids, it's less important what I pass down to them financially than that they have um, a healthy, smart relationship about money and, and, and how money works. Because if, if when they turn 18, 20, 25 years old, if they have their own money that's working and they have that ability to understand how it gets, gets applied into this new universe that we're going to walk into in the next five years, I think money, I think finances will change uh, forever by 2030. I think things are going to be different than, than what people realize. And, and so it, it's fascinating, right? Um, a few years ago, actually, I don't know if it was a few years ago, you know, we were really close to them changing the rules for IRAs. They, they, they went pretty far into almost making uh, less qualified investments and those kind of things. And I know they didn't change a lot of those rules. You know, what was kind of your thought during that period of time? And, and, you know, how do you think, you know, investors protect themselves a little bit? individually well i you know my my first thought was uh you know the washington is as crazy dumb and stupid uh as i think they are and uh that's not a political reference that's the entire uh you know political landscape i think both sides of the aisle have have good bad and ugly um and unfortunately i think on both sides of the aisle uh it's becoming more bad and ugly than we'd all like the reason I say that is, you know, there's common sense and I understand government has to operate and they need to to maneuver. And the problem that that I think you have is that you have um, you have a couple of people that can spark dialogue around very small um, items that that they make much bigger. And so really uh, that whole um, changes in, in guidelines that 
the IR or that the government had proposed was really, you know, we refer to it as the Peter Thiel rules, right? For those that don't know, Peter Thiel founded PayPal and, and had used his retirement account or Roth account to buy a bunch of pre-IPO stock. And he's got like $5 billion in a Roth IRA and everyone's like losing their mind on how could this happen? And, you know, this, this is why Roths are bad. And the reality is 99.9% .9 of people using these tools are, are actually helping the government, not hurting the government. And while that, 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 if you take that outlier away, um, the Roth IRA is a tool that gives people the ability to pay tax up front. That actually benefits the government. Yes, it benefits me too, but it benefits the government because the time value of money puts the money in the government's hands today. So there actually is not a love-hate relationship with Roths. It's a love-love relationship. I love them. They love them. We all love them. But every now and then there's some examples where they feel like that's a problem. So the, the rules that really, there, there were two rules that I thought were just crazy. Um, as far as putting some caps on Roth IRAs and that, I don't see that as a, a, a bad thing because the caps that, that are proposed, and I'm uh, just so you know, I'm a less government guy overall, but the caps that were proposed were so big that if anyone actually hit them, it probably wouldn't matter financially, right? The second thing is that they, the thing that I thought was lunacy was they were really trying to put some restrictions on the investment choices. And that's where I draw the line. Uh, if they want to manage the tax side of it, that's fine. Um, you know, but managing and, and preventing people from accessing a, a big world of alternative investments and private equity is is really, you know, penalizing uh, the masses for for maybe some of the sins of a few. Um, so overall, there's really nothing as an investor that you can do, um, at, you know, on the IRA side. Um, you know, everything that we've seen, thankfully, you know, don't focus on what gets proposed, focus on what gets passed. And in in all different in all different geopolitical cycles, meaning, you know, Republican controlled, Democrat controlled, House, con you know, controlled here, Congress controlled here, this president, that president, nothing has ever passed for IRAs that haven't made it better, not worse. So the, the stuff that was proposed was all shot down. What did pass was the SECURE Act, which actually increased um, you know, a lot of the things that we were able to do, what also passed was Secure 2.0, uh, which moved the uh, required minimum distribution age back. So all of these changes that did in, in fact occur uh, and did in fact happen have only made accounts better. Um, lastly, they've given more access to Roth IRAs over the last five years, not less access. So um, I think what we're seeing is, you know, keep being a smart investor, make the best decisions that you have with the information available to you today. Um, I would not not do something because you think the rules will change later. Um, I would make the best decision today and be grandfathered in, then be on the outside looking in because the rules really didn't change. So um, certainly stuff to watch, but but not enough that we've seen that would suggest there's anything uh, that we're concerned about, only the opposite, more access, more rules, uh, more availability of Roth accounts. You know, in America, I, I'm such a pro proponent of, you know, less government, less intervention of, of the market correcting effectively itself, right? And the more you, you interfere with it, the less it's its ability to course correct, you know, naturally. And, but, you know, I also wouldn't believe when people need help, you help them, but um, that people also need to be educated in order to help themselves. So
Well, Dutch, this has been a lot of fun. We, we've never done a joint podcast uh, at, at the same time. So uh, thanks for, for I guess, both having me on your podcast and thanks for being on uh, the All About Alts podcast. Uh, one thing I want to close out and just let everybody know uh, is Dutch will be one of our featured speakers uh, at our AltsCon conference coming up, which we're super excited about. You know, we talked a lot about learning and we talked a lot about your journey. Um, no matter where you are in the investment process, if your goal is to build wealth and, and do that through alternative assets like real estate, uh, definitely visit altscon.com uh, and take a look at our speaker lineup. You can get your tickets there. Uh, but Dutch will be there. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. We're looking forward to him and, and a variety of speakers uh, just sharing their insight and, and helping us all get a little bit better bit by bit uh, as we continue our wealth building journey wherever we may be in that process today. So uh, Dutch, thanks for being here and thanks for having me on your show. Awesome, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content. And we'll see you next week.